Hey everybody, welcome back to Florida Basketball Hour. Only a month until the 2019-2020 season uh, gets started. I know everybody's pretty excited for basketball uh, around Gainesville, even as we're uh, enjoying uh, what looks like another successful season under Coach Dan Mullen uh, on on the football field. Um, If y'all like what you hear, make sure you give us a follow on Twitter at FloridaBBHour. And uh, go ahead and drop a rating if you can or any advice or insight you have. Uh, guess you'd like to hear from on um, Apple in the reviews section. Okay, we're available on most platforms. Apple, Google Podcasts, right there on Anchor, Stitcher, uh, you know, you name it, Spotify, y- you can listen. So thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this show, starting with a segment from uh, Jackie Franchuli. Um, of Gators Territory with the Rivals uh, team. Uh, She's going to talk to us about media days and and what she's looking forward to. And then uh, Eric Fawcett and I from uh, Eric Fawcett from Gator Country and myself will talk recruiting. All right, thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Hi, everybody. I am Neil Blackman. I am with Jackie Franchuli of Rivals, and I wanted to – get Jackie on the show today because we've talked about how Rivals does such a great job of covering Gators basketball. Um, and Jackie was one of the people that was at the recent media day and did a great job covering that. I kind of wanted to get her impressions of, of what seems like a confident program heading into, you know, a season where there's just so much talk and, and I guess attention on, on Florida basketball for the first time in, in quite a while. So welcome. Hi, thanks, Neil, for having me. Yeah, it's a, it's kind of an exciting time for Florida basketball. I think um, because all the hype is happening now, right before the big game for Auburn, I think it's um, being undersold a little bit among Gator Nation. But it's, you know, if you look at this roster, I think it's the deepest roster Mike White has had since he's gotten to Gainesville. And knock on wood, if this, uh, if this team stays healthy. Honestly, I can't understand why they're talking about Final Four. This team has a lot of talent. Yeah, it's certainly, uh, you know, one of the biggest problems the last couple seasons with with White's teams. Um, there's obviously been injuries, key injuries both seasons, but balance. And um, I know that that's something that, that Coach White mentioned at, at Media Day, which we felt like this was going to be a balanced team both defensively and offensively. Yeah, for sure. And I think I know a lot of people might point that this is a young team. But if you think about it, you know, they do have some veteran pieces. They're not be as old as many people would want on a team. But honestly, when you have a guy, guys like Andrew Namehart, Noah Locke and Keontae Johnson, who's had significant playing time last year. Andrew Namehart was, I believe, the first uh, Florida freshman to play every game um, for like, what, eight years, I think. I think it's since 2011. That's amazing. Um, so it's just amazing how much he's grown in that year. He's already very talented coming into Florida, and he's already improved a lot in his time, especially becoming a leader. You know, talking about last year, how this team didn't have a leader, really. Uh, Kavarius Hayes was probably the most vocal member of that veteran team, but Jalen Hudson and Kayvon Allen weren't really leading this team. Hudson had his own problems, and Kayvon Allen was the quietest member on that team. Um, so I, I think this year you'll finally see this group having those leaders that this team hasn't had in the last two years, which is what every time Mike White stepped in front of our podium to talk to us, he would say, we're still looking for a leader. We're still looking for the alpha dogs. 
And now you have those three guys for now sophomores. And you have Carrie Blackshear, who is probably one of the best guests for Mike White in, during this offseason. He's a veteran. He's played in big games. He's played against some of the best teams in the country. And he'll be able to help some of these really talented freshmen coming up. And honestly, this is the best recruiting class for Florida in quite a while. So you just look all down that list. And it, it's you can see why everyone's excited about this. You finally have got balance in the front court, balance in the back court. You've got guys who are going to be really great on the defensive side of the ball, like Scotty Lewis. You've got great shooters like Trey Mann coming in. You, you, you've got the depth. You've got the balance. Now, the only thing now that Mike White has a problem is how to establish a good rotation. Because although you're deep, many of the best teams in the country don't roll out 10, 11 deep here. They usually roll out around, around seven or eight. You want to do some three guys after starting five. So that's the main problem for Mike White is how do you establish a good rotation and how do you make sure these guys are happy? Because, again, you're getting guys that are very talented. These guys expect to play a lot. So that is what Mike White's going to be juggling this year, shortening that rotation and make sure everyone is happy. Did he seem, and he being Coach White, did he seem like that was some sort of a challenge? That Because that's a great point that you mentioned. And I know you come from ACC country, and we've seen Virginia win the national title with eight, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. We know that Coach K at Duke loves to have, you know, a seven or eight man rotation. Like that's the most people Duke plays, um, barring, you know, an overwhelming amount of talent. Is that did that seem like a challenge that that Coach White was, you know, aware of and and already thinking about? Yeah, uh, Mike White's not a man to really say a lot when he comes to um, his pressers. <laughs> he keeps it a lot of close to the chest. But um, that it, he did mention how he, he likes the fact that he has depth. He didn't really go too much detail in rotation, but he, he did kind of talk about what I said about keeping, you know, that, that harmony among the team. You know, he's going to make these guys work during practice the last uh, ne- next few weeks for opening the season. He wants them to earn their playing time. That's something that last year we saw a lot. He wants these guys to be tougher. Um, that's something that, you know, um, when we watched, we actually had the ability to watch some practice on Tuesday before I had to go off to football. Um, and that's something that you noticed is White trying to get these guys to be tough, go for the whole practice. Um, that's something that the freshmen are struggling a little bit. That's something when you come in from high school ball and come into college ball, that's something that you struggle a little bit going out every single minute at practice. So I think that's how you're going to start weeding those guys into rotation. Um, but yeah, he understands the challenges. Um, the only thing that, you know, I think in the back of my mind, back of his mind is finally have enough depth. If one guy goes down, I, I won't have to, you know, try to create a team and try to get that front court presence that I've been missing there. I, I've never seen a guy have so much bad luck with his bigs. Now he yeah. has the opportunity to have, you know, at least depth. If one guy goes down, he will have that next man up, which is something he hasn't had in the last two years. Yeah, they also have depth at point guard. Um, for the first time and really since the Elite Eight season where they could rotate Casey Hill and Chris Chioza. And I think, um, you know, you mentioned the, the sophomores being kind of older. You know, I think a lot of times, especially in a, in a football-heavy fan base, we think of older players as being juniors and seniors. So it's a great point that you make about how many minutes those freshmen have played because do you see Andrew Nimhard sort of being, you know, if not the leader – uh, certainly a leader, captain-type player for this team, even though he's technically only a sophomore? 
Oh, for sure. I was starting to see that towards the end of last year. Um, you saw that in the NCAA tournament against LSU. I mean, in the SEC tournament, excuse me, against LSU. Um, you saw that he was becoming more vocal. I think when you're a freshman coming in, you have a lot of senior leadership on the team. You, you don't want to step on anybody's toes. But at some point, Andrew had this light bulb moment saying, I need to step up for this team. And actually, at the end of the season last year, the first thing that Andrew did was step into Mike White's office with Noah Locke and said, Coach, I want to be a leader to this team. I want to be le- I want to help this team get to where they should have come last year. And I think that says a lot about Andrew. I know a lot of people were kind of shocked about his going to the NBA draft, but honestly, um, I never thought he was leaving because he had that meeting with Mike White right after the season. Um, and that's something that, you know, he has continued to doing. I know he was with Tim Canada for a while, but as soon as he got on campus, he was already, you know, on freshman. He was already trying to help unite this team. And actually Noah Locke made some uh, great points when we talked to him at Media Day. He said what Andrew and Noah talked about in the offseason was that last year, um, I don't want to say the team was clicky, but they said they didn't really hang out together. Um, this year, they said because it's such a young team, there's nine new faces, they're able to create a different culture. And those two guys, what they wanted to do was make sure that everybody hangs out with everybody. Everybody knows each other very well on a personal level so that on the court you understand them better. So those two have really made sure that the culture changed inside the locker room. And that started just by them talking to Mike White back in March and April. That's really interesting, and, and I'm glad you brought up Noah Locke because I feel like – and I'm going to ask you about the freshmen uh, because the listeners want to know about the freshmen. <laughs> um, but, but I'm glad you brought up Noah Locke just because I, th- I thought it was a real testament in toughness um, last year that he was able to play – you know, really play with a pretty painful injury for about half the season. And and he said that he's willing to take on a leadership role. Did, did he indicate that, you know, he's feeling well too? Yeah, he said he's feeling well. He's feeling a lot better. He, uh, you know, he said he worked out really hard when he went back home to Maryland in the off season for a bit. Um, he, he said he hasn't felt, you know, any pain really. And, you know, I've seen him um, during practice on Tuesday. He was, he was moving the ball well. Um, he was being aggressive. Uh, he wasn't stuttering, so it didn't. Like, when looking at him at practice, it didn't seem like he was hurt. Um, and you can actually see, actually during practice, how he would go up and talk to the freshmen too. Because uh, he was telling me that the biggest thing when you're talking to a, a freshman is you have to kind of do that compliment sandwich where you kind of do like, hey, you got doing this well, you're doing this well, but hey, why don't you do this better? And don't be afraid to criticize them, um, but make sure you're not just going saying, hey, you're doing this wrong. Um, so I, I, and I got to see that in action and actually I saw Andrew doing the same thing too. So I really like how Noah and Andrew uh, are, they didn't seem like sophomores out there. They seem like guys who matured a lot in such a short amount of time. You know, Noah Locke, imagine he came onto that, that tournament in the Bahamas last year and that was his first time really starting. And then slowly you can see how he was getting more comfortable, getting the use of the balance of being a student athlete, something that he said he struggled in the beginning. And now he's just a whole different player. When you talk to him, um, he, his maturity level is so different. I actually compared my interview with him from last year uh, post game and just did his interview at media day where we kind of sat down and talked. It was such, it was a different player. It was a <laughs> player that was confident in himself and was very eloquent. And he knew what the expectation was for the team. He knew his own expectations. And it, it was it was nice to see that progression. And honestly, I would say he was a 
junior senior if I didn't know any better. <laughs> um, so freshman, you know, obviously, you mean you alluded to it, best recruiting class that 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 the program has had in at least in at least uh, eight or nine years since since the the group that ended up going to the final four and all those elite eights was, was a pretty highly regarded class similar to this one. But, you know, even that class didn't have two McDonald's all Americans, uh, which this class does and Scotty Lewis and, and Trey man, I had a chance to talk to Scotty. Um, it, when the Gators were in New York, actually of all places in December last year. And, and, you know, just an incredibly uh, open, you know, bright and happy interesting uh young man but but you know what what do you think florida can expect from from those two freshmen obviously they're going to play pivotal roles and then you know there's three guys with them that are all uh very talented in their own right yeah no for sure this is a very talented freshman class which is why mike white has uh, some serious questions he needs to answer about this uh rotation because these guys are going to fight for playing time um, Scotty Lewis. Now, what can I say about this guy? <laughs> he is quite an athlete. Just watching him on Tuesday, and I could be like, okay, now I understand the hype. Um, I understand why everybody in the country wanted this guy. Um, you know, and I can see why people are talking about maybe he's a potential lottery pick in the 2020 NBA draft. Um, you know, I, I do think, you know, he, he is more of a defender. I really like how quick he is on defense. Um, you can, you saw that on Tuesday when there was a practice, how quick and athletic he is. Um, he's going to try to dunk everything and he's pretty, pretty accurate and he's really good at being successful at that. Um, but one thing that I really liked was how competitive he was. He's such a fierce competitor, even at practice. Um, I know Mike White was uh, kind of alluding saying, no, these freshmen are still learning to be that competitive for the whole practice. But Scotty Lewis, the por- portion that I was able to see before I had to leave did show that he was getting better at being more consistent. He actually had a, um, he's not known to being the best three point shooter, but while I was there, he actually had a really nice three. Um, and, and I know that's not a shot they're going to see from him often. Um, I think if he actually did a, if he does a good job of his shot selection, I think he would move up in the NBA draft. I think that's something that yeah. he, he will need to be careful about. Cause if he takes some bad shots or bad looks that will drop him in the draft next year, but he, He's such a good guy in transition, and he's a fierce competitor, and I think he's going to do really well, especially when you see Namehart, who he can play both together, and he'll be a great finisher and distributor as well with Sky Lewis up front. So I really like that combination. Um, now, as far as the uh, Trey Mann, um, I think he's one of the best shooters on the team right now. Um, seeing him there, um, I hardly saw him miss a shot at practice. Um, he's such an electric shooter an electric score. Um, he honestly, his deep ball looked really easy. It was very <laughs> smooth. Um, and I could see him and with lock on the wings. And I think it will, it will be really, really interesting for opponents to face off against them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I'm really impressed with both of them and I'm not even talking about other guys that they've, They've got like, um, like, you know, Omar Payne and Jason Jatoba. Please, I hope I'm saying that name right. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not even talking about those guys who I think could fight for some part of their rotation. I think they both have been trying to work on their, um, their stamina a little bit. Um, I, I know they've been wor- working closely with the training staff there at the basketball team. But man, this freshman class is very, very talented. 
And uh, like, you know, and then you add Carrie Blackshear, who we, we haven't really talked in depth about. And, you know, I, I think f- this is why Florida is being hyped right now. Um, every single guy is talented and they balance each other out in a way where you can see them play with each other. And you can see that all the holes that were missing last year were you just had five guys on the court, but they weren't complementing each other. That's not the case this year. The talents are so different. Their skill sets are so different. They, they actually complement each other. And I think Mike White has done a good job in the offseason kind of spotting that and also changing the culture inside the locker room. And I think he did that by really relying on those freshmen from last year, Hornell sophomores, and bringing in a guy like Kerry Blackshear, who is really well-respected. Yeah, it's interesting that that one of the things we saw Blackshear you know, mention at, at Media Days, I guess, was that just there's a sense of family around the team. Um, and it was one of the things that really – kind of drew him to Florida. Yeah. Um, that, yeah. He also gave Mike White a heart attack when he, uh, he called <laughs> Mike White about yeah, tell our listeners that story that I guess they don't know if they don't know. Yeah, sure. So, um, Mike White was reliving that moment in his press conference. He said he was at a Gator club and he was about to speak and he saw, um, uh, wait, he was about to speak, but first he was signing autographs. You know how they, before the coach kind of signs autographs, and he was signing autographs, and then afterwards, you know, he saw his phone go, and he saw it was Carrie Blackshear. He's like, you know, hold on, let me let me take this phone call, and got in. You know, Carrie, you know, was saying like, you know, you know, I made my decision, um, and he played it up that he wasn't choosing Florida. So Mike Weiss <laughs> thinking, great, you know, uh, I was, he's like, I'm probably I wanted to hang up the phone. I wanted to just hang up and say, hey, man, I'm I'm on the speaking thing. Thanks so much. And then as as Mike White was like, you know what, let me just be polite. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, man, you know, I'm sorry you're not going to come with us. Uh, who did you end up choosing? And then uh, KJ goes, oh, I'm choosing Florida. So <laughs> he, he, made, he made Mike White age a few minutes. Like, he probably added a few white hairs. Um, but, <laughs> well, he, he doesn't have many of them, so. Yeah. So, but, um, so yeah, so th- that's how they started. And apparently Mike White has made KJ pay during practice already um, <laughs> for, for that. Um, and I think that's what we've seen. They're kind of, you know, they talk back and forth like that. And it's, uh, it's very different from last year. You know, Mike White, Mike White's a very focused coach when he's, you know, at, at, during practice. So, but you can see him smile a little bit more, which is nice. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's definitely a different vibe around the team. You know, I, I, I mentioned, Neil, before we started talking how, you know, at, at Media Day, there was just a different vibe around the team. You know, I was able to kind of get these guys um, away from maybe the media scrums where we do a lot of one-on-one interviews with them. And then at one point, I gave Scotty Lewis the microphone and had him interview a few of his teammates. And you can see how different it was when you were we asked to do that. He was really open about him. They were joking around. Um, and it seemed like Scotty Lewis, a freshman, was there for months and years. So you can definitely see that different culture. And you can see what Mike White has been able to do in just a few short months from the end of last season to now. So, um, again, uh, Jackie Franchuli is our guest. And I just want to thank her for joining us. I know that you do uh, – and if there's a if there's a, a Gator sport, you you've probably had the chance to, to cover it. You do great work with the football program. Just tell everybody um, where where they can read you, uh, feature pieces, cover piece, you know game game pieces. I can't talk all of a sudden. Uh, <laughs> where they can find you on Twitter, uh, all that stuff. Give us give us the rundown. Yeah, sure. So um, my work is on GatorsTerritory.com. Is the Florida site on the Rivals Network. 
Um, and then also you can find me on Twitter at, at Jackie Fran underscore. I'm very difficult. So my name, Jackie, is spelled very weird. It's J-A-C-Q-U-I-E. Um, and I usually have a, a lot of video interviews. That's um, I came from a TV background. So I have a lot of like one-on-one interviews of players, especially on the, on the basketball side. Um, so we usually sit down and do different type of interviews that, and then, then sometimes we try to have fun with the guys. So people understand that they have a human side to them, that not, not just the numbers and how they play. So like yeah. I said, we usually give like a microphone to a player so they can interview their guys. And honestly, Scotty Lewis had some great basketball questions in addition to asking, uh, Keontae Johnson, uh, what he would be doing if he wasn't playing basketball, which is working at McDonald's apparently. Um, <laughs> so we have all those interviews and on the football side, obviously, we're covering all the big homecoming game against Auburn, um, showing our predictions, game, doing the game breakdowns, and then we'll have film breakdown on Sundays and Mondays before we start looking forward to LSU. So a lot of good stuff on Gators territory. Well, Jackie, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. Tell your boy Frank Lampard to play Christian Pulisic. And, uh... <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll make a phone call. Yeah, please do that. And um, what can can we get a can we get a Florida Auburn prediction? I'm I'm on record saying that I don't know who will win, but I think that it, it's interesting that no one thinks Florida has a chance. Like my suspicion is the Gators will show up. Uh, I actually picked Florida. Um, I have I like Florida it. beating. I have Florida beating Auburn twenty to seventeen because I think Bo Nix um, is going to have an issue with that pass rush. I think yeah. John Greenard has has proven himself that he's going to cause problems for quarterbacks. you got C.J. Henderson and Jab- uh, Jabari Zuniga potentially back. They're probably not 100%. I think they're closer to like 80 to 90%. But I, I, I would be shocked if they don't play. Um, you got a packed, uh, packed swamp, a true freshman quarterback, a really aggressive Todd Grantham defense. I, I can see a couple of turnovers. Um, and, yeah, I, I honestly – you know, I, I, I don't know why. I just, I'm very confident for Florida. I'm usually the one on the fence, but I've been picking Florida for the last week and haven't wavered. So maybe, I don't know. I mean, let's take it as a good omen, right? I like it. I like it. And, and thank you again, Jackie. I hope that we can uh, check back in with you when uh, basketball gets started. For sure. Thanks for having me, Neil. Of course. Bye-bye. It is Florida basketball. I'm Neil Blackman. I am with from GatorCountry.com, Eric Fawcett. Eric, how's it been going? Oh, I mean, it's uh, it's exciting times. I'm uh, glad to be back uh, podcasting with you because there's uh, there's a lot going on. But obviously, season's uh, coming up, you know, sooner than you think. So I've just been going on with uh, whatever kind of preview off-season articles I can. And obviously, recruits are starting to pop. So, uh, yeah, it's a good time. Yeah, 32 days until uh, college basketball. Not that I'm counting it down, um, <laughs> except that I am counting it down. Uh, and, yeah, Florida, this is like the second show in the off season that we've done on the day that Florida got a recruit. Um, of course, last time it was Kerry Blackshear Jr. You might have heard of him. Um, flipped from Tennessee at the last moment. Uh, to to attend the University of Florida, uh, I had heard it was Tennessee and Kentucky only, so it was, that came out of the blue, really. Um, and then uh, I don't know about for you, like if that was totally stunning. Um, yeah, so now we get. Uh, speaking of out of the blue, let's just dive right in with uh, the commitment of Osayo Sifu. Not even someone we had mentioned in passing 
on the podcast. Uh, pretty out of the blue for me. Um, but to, to talk anyone off the ledge, it's like, why did we sign someone that's totally off out of the out of left field? Uh, a really highly touted junior college prospect. Yeah, I mean, uh, someone whose athleticism really just seems to be kind of like world class, and uh, someone who's um, six foot eight with a seven one wingspan, and uh, someone who, by all accounts, is a really good guy. Uh, just everyone who speaks of him that knows him just says he's really high character, uh, really polite. Um, I spoke with him for an article at Gator Country, just a quick interview, and he was he was really polite. So I, I think that it's someone who is. Um, has high upside and high character. So if you're going to bet on someone who's got high upside, um, going with someone who's also high character is probably a, yeah. a wise choice. And I think that that's because, uh, you know, there are a lot of guys that are good athletes, but um, there's probably not a lot of players who you would classify as, you know, elite character or super high character. So um, you find a guy that you, uh, you believe in from a personality standpoint and has those physical tools. And uh, clearly Florida thinks they can, they can turn that into a guy. Yeah, no, I think uh, what's interesting to me about it is, well, he comes from Eastern Florida, um, which is, you know, kind of a Juco basketball powerhouse. Uh, a lot of really good players have been through that program. Um, really well-respected coach in Jay Shulman. And I think, uh, but 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 even forgetting the pedigree, it's it's Eric Hardy Lutzer. It's the height and length. It's it's just not the kind of player, with the exception of Chase Johnson, um, bells for chase johnson um with the exception of chase johnson that that we haven't really had in 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 the program right like omar Payne is coming in but florida uh florida hasn't been able to just compete athletically at times in the white era and i think when you talk about an anthony jeruji when you talk about osayo sifu when you talk about omar Payne, you're starting to talk about a team that is going to be more athletic than people that they play yeah, and I think that uh, you you know you saw a season last year where Florida didn't have a lot of options at the power forward spot, and then this year going into the season, uh, not a lot of options at the power forward spot. And uh, yeah, I think that White's just probably you know ready to have that not be the case anymore. So you know, Drugi's a guy that can play the four next year, um, but also uh, you know so is uh, Osifu, and just I think that that's um, uh, yeah, that's probably what he projects. I mean, you know, maybe and he ends up playing some center. Um, he certainly kind of got, uh, you know, probably the size and, uh, and length for that if they want to go that direction, depending on his skill set. Uh, but yeah, I would say that that's just, uh, it's just something that, yeah, like you mentioned, the other just hasn't been uh, a lot of options at that kind of similar position. And now it's kind of swinging in, in the opposite direction. So you can see that there's a, there's some correction and kind of development going on within how, uh, how they're building their roster. Yeah, there really is. And it's interesting because it kind of continues that trend of, of flipping the roster and now, now they have to look at it and say, okay, we flipped the roster for 2019-2020, but we expect a lot of attrition because we expect to be successful. So how do we want to build it so that that doesn't happen again, so that we don't have to rally and flip it? And I think that's really proactive recruiting. That's quality recruiting. That's, that's what we would hope that the staff would do. And, and they are doing it. Um, and I, I think what – I. I was not even half joking when I, I texted you after this guy after, cause you were like, Florida got a Juco commit. What? <laughs> and I remember texting you and saying something along the lines of, I think Mike White's tired of losing to Florida state. Yes. Cause doesn't this guy seem like somebody that Leonard Hamilton would just roll out and he'd be like nine points, nine rebounds, total pain for 30, for 20 minutes. 
Yeah, I do think that you just see nowadays, like, teams that are particularly successful, there is kind of, like, um, there's kind of, like, a requisite level of athleticism that you need on a roster and, and length, and, and Florida hasn't quite had that. And, yeah, they're kind of moving in the direction of, of having positional size, which they haven't had recently, and, and having some athleticism. And, uh, yeah, I think that'll certainly help in the Florida State matchups that we're going to see every year. Yeah, I mean, I think that this is the kind of player that helps you win. I mean, I, it's not – I. I was trying to debate when I made some notes. I was like, is it cliche to say, like, this is a conference game player? But what I mean by that is, like, conference play is a real grind. Like, everybody really knows everybody really well, especially after the first time when you've seen them. And those games in February and March, people are tired. You're trying to manage minutes. You know that March is around the corner. The environments are brutal. You know, this is the kind of guy that that brings that's going to bring that physicality and athleticism that wins you games in February. Yeah, it's a good point, and uh, uh, yeah, I think that that kind of once again goes to uh, uh, his personality and and something that maybe has been um, maybe has been lacking a little bit in the the personalities of players on the roster recently is is just kind of that competitiveness and that. Um, I don't really want to say toughness because that, you know, suggested Mike White didn't have a tough summer. Okay. So like, I think it's okay. Cause Mike White basically this summer said, Noah Locke's really tough. Dante Bassett's really tough. Some days cave on Allen was really tough. We weren't tough. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, yeah, that's a good point. Okay. So we didn't have the toughest roster for sure. So getting guys that have that mindset. Um, Cause I just, you know, I don't know what you feel, Neil, I, I, but I don't know if you can teach toughness. I think it's a little bit, um, maybe in, ingrained or inherent by the time that the guys are of the age that they're, you know, playing college basketball. So yeah, you find a guy that has it and uh, you go from there. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, I don't know, it can be cultivated in my brief coaching experience. I think you, you cultivate it. Like, you know, you know, I'm a big Jay Billis fan and I, I sent Eric a copy of, yeah. of Billis's book, which I think uh, is phenomenal and it's about toughness and, and, you know, he kind of talks about the way you train it. Um, but yeah, there's an innateness to it, and I think Florida has upgraded across the board, and and Osifu will fit in culturally in that way. Um, so I hope we talked to you off the ledge on that. Florida gets a commit today. We're recording on Friday, the day before the Auburn game. Happy homecoming to all you Gators that are going to listen to this on the road. Thank you for listening. Um, Samson Rusensev, four-star wing from Tennessee, ranks 53rd in the 24/7. Uh, rankings, not the composite, just the 24-7. He's a top 75 player on Rivals, which basically when you mean means he's a top 75 player to me because I don't put much stock in the, the ESPN college basketball recruiting rankings. No, no offense to anybody that really thinks ESPN is awesome on that front, but I just don't think that they're nearly as good. But the bottom line is another guy that just really ups Florida's athleticism quotient. Yeah, he does. Uh, I really like I really like Rusensev. Uh, I just think that he's got good positional size. Um, he's got really good athleticism, and I think he's a lot more polished than than a lot of people think. I mean, when I watch him play, I think he's got a good handle. I think he can um, do some things with the ball in the half court as as well as in transition. Uh, he's got a really nice shooting stroke, so I just think he checks a lot of the boxes for a really really good player and. Uh, I, I really think, you know, he's 110th in the, or sorry, the 24-7 composite, 
Um, but yeah, 24 seven and, and rivals having him as a top 75 player. Uh, that's certainly where I think he, he belongs. And uh, I see a lot of players ahead of him that I would certainly want Bruce heads of before. So um, I, I really think this is like a, an, an underrated pickup. I, I think this player is um, just really, really good. And I think he's going to be a really good piece for the Gators. I, I'm very excited for him. Yeah. I mean, he's some, by some distance, he's the uh, number two, player in Tennessee, according to both 24-7 and rivals. Keon Johnson uh, being the number one player, top 20 player of its signing with uh, Tennessee. But but still, when you think about Florida going into Tennessee repeatedly, and really this is something that, that is like a program stable now because you have Corey Brewer, all the way back to Corey Brewer where Florida was really successful going into that state. But but new staff, I mean, uh, Jason Jatobo, sure, they went to the same school. I'm sure that helped. Um, but but Jason Jatobo, Rusensev, uh, Quest Glover, and Florida's done really well recruiting that state, which is a, a really good state for basketball. Yeah, it's uh, it's good to see when, obviously, uh, you see that there's uh, Tennessee basketballs in you know, a better place than they've been in recent history, but Florida's kind of uh, still getting some guys from underneath them, so that's uh, that's really good, and uh, I also think that um, it's it's also interesting too because obviously Florida has so much in-state talent, but you see these guys that they're um, that they're landing from out of state, and I mean they're going to come down to the wire here with Niels Lane and AJ Hogger, two guys that are um, from out of state, and I just think it's uh, yeah you kind of you kind of get those guys um, yeah when you can go go around the country and get those guys, and you also have the recruiting base that Florida has. I mean, there's just it just shows how dominant Florida is in recruiting right now. And it's uh, uh, probably something that's going to keep going moving forward. So um, I think when we talk about the Rusensev and Osivo commits, we also kind of need to talk about the rest of the, the chessboard. Um, and, you know, there, there certainly have been some rumblings between people. And I think some people that are disappointed that, that they're worried now that, that PJ Hall won't be in this class because, you know, Florida took a power forward. So, I kind of wanted to get, you know, your take on that before we kind of break down what we think is left. I, I mean, the the first thing is like, other than, um, you know, I think that PJ Hall and Osifo are both power forwards. I mean, that's about where the similarities <laughs> kind of end. I mean, uh, like Osifo, I just, I, I, okay. So I should tell people. So, I mean, I was, I watched every minute he played uh, last season, yes. uh, which actually wasn't that much. Um, I mean, cause he actually struggled to get on the floor, um, which again is probably not helpful for those who are maybe concerned <laughs> with the pickup. Um, he has a long way to go offensively. Um, and I don't even mean just like, like this isn't a Cavarius Hayes. Oh, you throw him the ball and he can't score on the block thing. Like I, I, I was not super pleased with the way that he played just like, like, um, in their offense, I mean, he was like missing screens that he was supposed to make. Um, he's just, he's really raw in that end. Um, and then I see PJ Hall, who I think is really kind of developed offensively. And uh, obviously, uh, you just see the athleticism that um, Osifo brings defensively. Um, he's someone who could be featured there. And um, I also think you could play Osifo and, and Hall together. And as Osifo is your five, or, you know, Hall is your, I don't care who you call the five. Um, you could play them together. Um, obviously, it's, uh, you know, it's going to be, uh, it'll be Osifo's third year of college when, when PJ Hall would enter as a freshman. So I, I'm just not really concerned that, um, that Hall is going to see a Juco commit and, uh, and be scared off. Yeah, no, I, and, and that's kind of where I'm at on it is, is I don't, 
look, if PJ Hall wants to come to Florida, they're going to have a scholarship for him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, they didn't, they didn't recruit. And, and that's how I'll answer the people that are like, Oh, well, let's see what's a good spot. Cause I know that there are probably people that, that are really worried about that. And this is what I'll say. Florida did not spend three years recruiting PJ Hall to just be like, well, He's going to go to Virginia Tech or Clemson on his final two visits, so we're not going to recruit him anymore. <laughs> that's, that's not something – this staff doesn't do stuff like that. So, uh, you know, now maybe 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 Hall has eliminated Florida, although there's no indication that that's true, and I haven't heard anything like that. And, you know, occasionally Eric and I do get information, so no one has said that to me. Um, I don't know about Eric. But, uh, yeah, so I think, I think Florida is still very much in the mix there, which would – which would, to me, mean that that let's say that they they have four spots. We, we're under the assumption that it's four spots, right, Eric? We're still four spots. Yeah, I think four spots is, is safe. I think it's four spots, and I think there's a better chance of being five than three. So I think four is a, a yeah. good number to go with. Yeah, I, I actually think I think you're right, and I think that's why I think that's why people like there's really not any need to hit the panic button, and also why I think Florida could do four in the fall session for the first time ever. Right. They, they did three. They've done three before. Uh, I think that they could, they could end up with four. And then, you know, when you see how it all breaks out in the spring, maybe you have to sign a fifth guy, but, but they'll, uh, they'll be able to do that on the board. Considering I think it's four. We, we think it's four. There's two scholarships. I have five names written down. Interested to see if Eric has any, anyone else, but I put PJ Hall, um, Moses Moody, A.J. Hoggard, Niels Lane, and then uh, Cade Cunningham, and I put a smiley face emoji. <laughs> yeah, no, those would be the names that I'd be looking at. And, yeah, uh, at it. this point, I don't. Yeah, I don't think there's any probably going to be anything more to add. So, uh, yeah, those are the key guys right now. And obviously, A.J. Hoggard is announcing on the sixth, and uh, Niels Lane is announcing on the eighth, and who knows with Hall and. Uh, Kate Cunningham also kind of hinted the other day. He wrote an article in um, uh, USA Today. I think USA uh, – CJ Walker actually did the same thing last year where they do like these like blogs with some recruits. And anyways, Kate Cunningham suggested he's probably going to announce um, in late November. There's, he's going to be playing uh, in a tournament uh, uh, near his hometown in Texas. So I think he wants to uh, announce there in front of some friends and family. So uh, still some time there. And, uh, you know, Cade Cunningham's another guy that obviously I, you know, being <laughs> who I think is like the best recruit of the last couple of years. I mean, if he wants to come to Florida, there will be a scholarship available. Yeah, good point. Um, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, so that's another kind of date to watch. But anyways, uh, I, I do think uh, I do think there'll be some uh, some kind of clarity soon here for what Florida's class is going to be. And I think I think it'll be really clear on October 8th. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll give our listeners that now. Like, I think, I think what's going to happen is AJ Hoggard's going to go to Michigan state, which Eric and I kind of thought he would. And I think, I think Lane will be a gainer on the eighth. Yeah. I, uh, there's some Michigan state people telling me that uh, they might've moved on from Hoggard. They already have another uh, point guard recruit. Who's uh, like a top 40 player. So um, if they see Hoggard as maybe someone who is uh just a point guard and, and also the the other thing too is uh, for those who may not have seen Hoggard before um his uh his fitness level is uh maybe not at the yeah. level you'd like to see from a perimeter player and apparently to uh the coaching staff at Michigan State that is uh becoming an issue for them so um 
yeah, anyways, I, I do think there's a little bit more. I for, I for sure thought that it was going to be Michigan State a long time ago. Um, some Michigan State people that say that he's moved on, or sorry, that they've moved on from Hoggart. Um, that certainly makes me think maybe Florida's in the mix. But, uh, yeah, I, I would still say I, I, I'm much more sure about uh, uh, about Lane, who I, who I do think, like you mentioned on the 8th, will uh, become a Gator. Yeah, no, I think Lane is coming to Florida, which means, like, I'll even one-up it farther on Hogger. I don't know if Florida necessarily is taking him now for the same reasons that Michigan State has some skepticism. Right. Like I, my, my sense on that is that like it, it wouldn't stun me if Michigan State's like, all right, we'll just get him in shape because we've recruited him since he was in eighth grade. But but it's also possible that it is red flag enough and our staff knows it. They feel comfortable with, with Appleby and Quest Glover on campus, they say, you know what, we'll go get the guy we want next year at point guard. And I, you know, you feel like, or maybe even in the spring, they'll add a point guard, right? They could go grad transfer out if it's five. Like Florida has options there. And uh, yeah, I really wouldn't be stunned if Hoggard ended up at Providence or Marquette, which I think were his other two uh, finalists. Yeah, no, it could certainly be the case. So, yeah, keep an eye on that one at the six. But yeah, probably a bigger eye on, on Lane at the eighth. Yep, and so if it's Lane, then that really leaves Moses Moody and P.J. Hall. Um, a lot of Moses Moody, oh, he's trending to, to Arkansas. Uh, he'll, be in, he'll be at Kansas this weekend, so, um, you know, that's a pretty good program. Although, going to be really fascinating to see uh, how <laughs> – what do you sell a kid that's going to – that's a conversation Eric and I can have off air or like another day, but <laughs> – <laughs> yeah, well, there's a few Georgia Tech writers who reached out to me to, after the Osifo uh, comment that said, oh, does that mean uh, P.J. Hall is going to be leaning towards Georgia Tech? I'm like, I don't know who's who's leaning towards Georgia Tech right now. But <laughs> anyways, yeah. Yeah, right. Like, uh, I don't know. I just thought it was so funny that Moses Moody was like, yeah, I don't really talk to Will Wade anymore. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, I wonder what that is, but he's still visiting Kansas. It's like. Okay, well, somebody somebody at Kansas must talk a really good game then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I uh, guess you never know. You just yeah, you really don't. And and I, like I still think most Moody's probably going to go to Arkansas. Um it's such a big recruit for Arkansas, like to kind of go down that rabbit hole a little bit, but like they they just got murdered by Kayon Allen for 4 years. <laughs> and and I feel like you know you can't then lose the best player out of Little Rock since him. Uh, at, well, I guess that would have been Malik Monk, but you can't lose. <laughs> you you lost Malik Monk, uh, so you, you can't go like over three. <laughs> like you gotta get one of them. Well, especially with Musselman, who's um, you know the greatest coach and recruiter in in of America all time. of all time. Yes, he's a. I, I actually have heard that Musselman is as good a coach as Auburn is a football team. <laughs> like Florida has no chance of beating Auburn and no chance of recruiting against Musselman. Both these yeah, that's are, they're facts. <laughs> yeah, so that's what we're gonna have to see with um, <laughs> uh, yeah, with Arkansas who uh, <laughs> space and pace. Yeah, if this, so, yeah, you can sell Moses Moody on isolating against you know Florida. Your your reaction to me saying space and pace is why I've missed the podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I I just can't wait for Florida to play Arkansas. I'm ready for conference season. I I'm just uh, 
yeah, no, there, I just, uh, there's, there's just been so much on Eric Musselman love over the last little bit. And, um, uh, also just this, um, you know, this obviously talk about Arkansas being such a, or sorry, him being just the greatest, uh, uh, recruiter ever, Eric Musselman, who currently has, um, you know, one, three star signed and, uh, yeah. And, and a couple, uh, three star kind of transfers and, uh, nothing for the 2020 class. So this guy who is going to instantly turn around recruiting and, um, he's also a basketball genius, um, as on display against Florida in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. I'm ready for it. Yeah. He... So yeah. Moses Moody can make a decision accordingly. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sure that, that, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. I like the idea of, of, uh, I like the idea of getting, getting Scotty Lewis out on like Isaiah Joe though, and <laughs> just being like, okay, figure out how to score now. Um, but we'll see space and pace. We know it's devastating. <laughs> um, so Eric and I wanted to, I mean, do you have anything else to add on recruit? I guess I should stop and be like, is there anything? Else? <laughs> no, no, I think we're good. Okay. So we're going to talk basketball. Um, practice started, uh, a little while ago. Um, we have the Jackie Franchuli segment, which will be at the top of this show. Uh, early practice insight from her, early practice insight from Chris Harry, so that you guys know. Um, I mean, you're going to hear it on the if you if you're at this point in the pod, you've already listened to the Jackie segment. But uh, for so Eric knows, since he doesn't get the benefit of listening, um, freshmen struggling with energy was one point that she mentioned, like that they, they there has been you know issues with energy in the whole practice, uh, even with Scotty Lewis. Uh, that he like will come out like a cannon for half an hour and then like he gets pretty tired. Um, <laughs> Locke and Nimhard really developing as as leaders. Um, that Trey Man is the best shooter on the team, including Locke. Uh, and that you know, uh, is one thing that. That was mentioned. Chris Harry talked about three point guards playing, which kind of speaks to Eric's theory that yes, Florida will play three point guards this season. Um, that that Quiz Glover does some stuff that the staff really likes, and so you know I think there's going to be minutes for him early. And then um, the one I wanted to talk about with Eric before we get into some other basketball stuff is is kind of what to expect with Scotty Lewis. That apparently early practices like kind of limited offensively. Uh, gets to the rim, gets fouled when they have refs, um, gets fouled, shoots his free throw as well. But, you know, people hear lotto pick Eric and they sometimes think, you know, 20 and 10. And like, that's not going to be Scotty Lewis. Like he's going to be a guy that is elite defensively. Right. And, and then, you know, what he brings offensively is work in progress. Yeah, I, I do think there. I'm at least you know going a little bit by by Twitter and also the Gator Country forums. I, I do think there is some people who are probably a lot too optimistic on Scotty Lewis's offensive game. Um, and, and yeah, like I mean, there there's very easily a scenario to me where he averages like seven points a game this year. And, but I say that um, still saying that like he could still be one of the most important players just because of what he does uh, defensively. Um, and what he does just kind of from a, from an intensity standpoint. And um, I think he passes the ball quite well and, and can kind of still be effective offensively. But uh, the, the fact of the matter is he just hasn't been able to shoot consistently at any 
any points up until where we are currently now. And uh, also just, uh, yes, from the, the things I've been hearing in practice, uh, the last time I saw him was at the, you know, the Nike Skills Academy where he really, really struggled, I would say, offensively. Um, just to just struggled to make plays against decent defenders with the ball. Uh, didn't shoot well. Um, so, you know, there's uh, it'll be interesting to see what he does offensively. Um, uh, just because if Florida does get out and run more, um, then I mean, he might be able to get, you know, 12 points a game and, and six or eight of them are on fast break layups or in um, kind of that like semi uh, secondary offense type thing. So, um, but, but I do think once the game kind of turns into a half court kind of setup, I, I don't think he's going to be a, um, super impactful. Um, I, I even had a discussion with um, kind of Sam Snelling, who does uh, uh, just has a Missouri basketball podcast talking to him. And he was kind of asking about, about Lewis and uh, something we kind of discussed was um, a, a scenario that I think is quite likely. And that's at the end of the games, I'm not really sure he's going to be on the floor. And I know that's going to be a, just a wild set, statement to some people, but I mean, if Florida really needs a bucket, I, I, I really think, uh, I really think it's, you know, you probably want Nemhart, you want Trey man, uh, you want, Noah Locke, you want Keontae Johnson, you want Kerry Blackshear. I mean, I think that's going to be the five that's closing out games sometimes. So, um, yeah, I, I, and I say all this, I, I really don't want to sound like I'm like, you know, down on Scotty Lewis. I really think he is going to be a very, very important and no, effective player. No, he's a player, special player. He's a special but, player. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, offensively, I, I, I do think people probably don't realize how limited he, he is or at least from um, kind of what I've seen and, and kind of some indications of what I've heard of practice. Right. And that's kind of where, where, what I've heard too, is that, you know, when you talk about what this freshman class offers in Florida, the, the electric offense is, is man. Yeah, I really think so. And I, I think, uh, I think people are going to be shocked by man. Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, obviously when you talk about who's going to put up the kind of the, the, the box score, the, the stat sheet numbers, I mean, I, th- I think it's going to be man. I think he's going to surprise some people. And um, I, I mean, I even heard some people uh, kind of that have been in practices in the, in the, that are just like, you, you know, a lot of people like, like you and I expect man to be the sixth man. And uh, a, a couple people said, no, man, man, you know, has to start. And I don't know if Lewis has to start was something that was told to me. And, and I think that would be really interesting. And, I'm not sure that would happen. I think even from a perception standpoint and trying to recruit other kind of players of his caliber, I think you might have to kind of start Lewis from that point, but it was interesting to, to uh, I'm just for someone to say just, um, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe Lewis is someone you bring off the bench. Uh, maybe Matt is someone who just like needs to be featured on the, in the starting group. And um, yeah. So I, I, I would say I, once again, I mean, it's something you and me have talked about. I, I just think people are almost taking Trey Mann for granted. I mean, there's yeah. been so much Scotty Lewis talk, and, and I do think it's deserved for sure. But I think there should honestly be equal Trey Mann talk. Like, I, I just think he's going to just explode on the scene. And I think once games start, uh, that won't be the case anymore. I think the Trey Mann might be the most talked about Gator. Well, and that's the thing. They're, they're two top 20 players. So when you think about all the players, there's 323 Division One programs. So you think about all the players that signed they're both in the top 20. You're really talking about a fine tooth comb in terms of like what the differences are in, in like projected ability. And, you know, to that end, I wanted to bring up this and, and we can move on from Lewis and, and talk about some other basketball stuff, but 
you know, Andre Iguodala is a guy that I pretty consistently compared Lewis to. At least I feel like I've been consistent enough where Eric might like remember me doing that. Yes. And here were his numbers his freshman year at Arizona. Like he started the first four games and never started again. <laughs> he played twenty three point two minutes, averaged six point five points. But here's where he made his money, right? Uh, and I I say that tongue in cheek because I know Lou Olson didn't have a reputation for that stuff. But um, five rebounds, two assists, two steals per point seven blocks in those twenty three point two minutes. So. What do you think that Arizona did? Like he came in, locked down on D, got a bunch of rebounds. I mean, that's a high rebound rate for that number of minutes. Uh, that's a high steal rate. That's a high block rate. Um, all that stuff is really good. And, and you know, what did he shoot as a freshman? He shot 38% from the field. And I promise you the bulk of that 38% was dunks. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I, I'm willing to go ahead and, and bet that that's the case. His three-point percentage as a freshman was 20%. Um, yeah. And, and I, so I, I, that's just kind of where and, – and now look at him, right? Like he's a guy who ended up scoring 20 points a game multiple times in the NBA. But, but I think that's kind of where Scotty is right now development-wise. Yeah, I also wrote an article if people want to go back and see this a few weeks ago, and it was just uh, – what I did was I just looked at a bunch of players that were ranked um, similarly to uh, – um, similar to um, yeah, Scotty Lewis, out. and then um, and then I just looked at uh, obviously players that are that play a similar position, and then I just looked at their numbers, and then I averaged them all out to see what you know you can maybe look for for Scotty Lewis. And I think you just um, you know you look at Naz Little, a guy who is a similar player um, last year. He had nine point eight points, four point six rebounds. Um, you look at guys uh, like Hamadou Diallo kind of profile similarly. He was 10 points a game right on the nose. You look at, um, you, you know, Stanley Johnson was 13.8. That was good. Uh, Kelly Oubre, a guy that looked a yeah. similar. He was still someone who thought shot 36% from three. He was still at 9.3 points per game. Um, so, I, I, you know, Wayne Seldon similar. He was under 10 points a game. Michael Kidd Gilchrist, he was 11.9 points per game. He's someone that I actually. But way more influential than that, by the way. And right. Oh, totally. And that's and that's and that's the thing. Like Lewis could average seven or eight and still be somebody that gets all conference votes. Yeah, and I think that uh, you know people are going to have football friends that only are casually watching Florida basketball, and they might look at the stats or they might look at the box score of a game they didn't watch because it's still football season, and they might see you know six points. Um, five rebounds and, and two steals and, and might not be super impressed. And I, you know, it is our job as knowledgeable basketball fans <laughs> to, uh, to inform them that he's probably going to be much more impactful. But um, yeah, I do think the expectations about what he's going to bring offensively should, should probably be a little bit tempered. So let's talk, let's shift gears and talk about one thing. Cause Jackie brought this up and I was like, ah, oh, she teed Eric up and I don't have him. Um, <laughs> she brought up rotations and just said one thing at media day that you could tell was already on White's mind was, oh yeah, I've got a lot of good players. Um, I've you know a lot of good basketball players. How do I keep them happy? And how do I maintain chemistry? And how do I find rotations that work? And I thought, well, that's good that he can look at GatorCountry.com and see <laughs> a piece that uh, Eric Fawcett wrote. Eric Fawcett, master recruiter of Kerry Blackshear, also <laughs> wrote a. Uh, a piece about rotations gets into some tempo, but go ahead and talk about 
um, I'm going to violate my rule on the talk about question and say, talk about that piece a little bit. Oh, gladly. Uh, I, I'm really excited to see what, uh, yeah, so obviously, yeah. So, um, I have not heard the, uh, um, the Jackie piece yet. I'm really excited to hear what she has to say. I really like uh, when she talks football and I'm really happy to, uh, to hear what she has for the basketball team. But, um, yeah, so that was something, uh, something I wanted to look at, um, was, uh, you know, Florida's got a lot of bench pieces and I wanted to see, Hey, are, are teams that are really good, like, um, final four caliber or championship caliber, which is something that Florida has the talent to do and is going to be, um, they're going to have their eyes on doing that all year. Um, I, I wanted to see uh, how those teams use their bench. And um, you could go see that article at Gator Country. I'd love for you to read it. Um, yes. The first it. thing that I, uh, the first thing that I kind of noticed was, you know, last year I, it, it was something that was kind of funny was uh, people thought like, Oh, Florida didn't use their bench at all. They weren't deep. Um, they still were like 143rd in the country in, in bench minutes. And then, um, so keep that in mind, keep that number. So they were 143rd in bench minutes last year. Um, when you look at teams that, um, uh, that have made the final four recently, um, most of them are below that. So you look at last year, um, Virginia, 317th, Texas Tech, 297th, Michigan State, 195th, Auburn, 151st. So no team in the final four used their bench more than Florida did last year. <laughs> um, the year before, Villanova, Auburn is surprising to me, but continue. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, that's that. Well, uh, I'll end with a point about that, but. Um, uh, I'll say this. So, you know, no, uh, in 2018, Loyola Chicago was 147th. Everyone else was lower. Um, Kansas was 345th. Michigan was 249th. Um, uh, when South Carolina made their final four, they were 152nd. So they were similar to the Gators. But, you know, you see Syracuse, Oklahoma, when they were um, made the final four with Buddy Heald, 329th. Syracuse was 350th. You just look at all these things. Um, all these teams that make the final four, like, there, there is pretty much no one who actually uses their bench a ton. The only exception over the last like five years was North Carolina in 2017 was 69th. But other than that, um, or I guess, sorry. And then of course the platoon Kentucky team was 27th. And I mean, we can argue whether or not that was even the best way to use the town. Um, but, and, uh, and have off, off air. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um <laughs> So, so again, you just see these teams that are final four caliber and just very few of them actually like really use deep benches. Yeah. And I think that that's something that Florida needs to keep in mind is that if you're planning on playing 13 or, or I shouldn't say 13, they obviously two have the two red shirts, but um, you know, 12, because Klasky is another guy that could factor in. Um, Cause they've got kind of, you know, 14 good guys and, and two of them are going to be sitting out. But um, if they're going to plan on using a, this, you know, even, even a 10 man bench where they are, are really going kind of deep that way, um, what you're doing is going to be going outside of um, you're going to be doing something different than final four teams of the past and of recent history. So I think that that's just something to keep in mind. I, I just always think like, I, you know, some people who kind of read my work and um, especially when, you know, we talk about tempo and stuff like that is I always kind of talk about like looking at what teams do things well and say like, Hey, is Florida going to do what other teams do well or, and has shown historically to have worked or are they going to do something that's entirely different and, and buck the trend. And I think doing what has worked historically is going to work more than changing the course of basketball history. So yeah, um, that was just something I were. And then, so going back to what you said, Neil, about, um, you know, that, how that number surprised you about Auburn. It's just something that, you know, I, I this is my other thing is I don't want to say that benches don't matter. What I kind of learned from my kind of research was that your sixth and seventh guys mattered and a little right. bit your eighth guy, but your ninth to 12 guys really don't matter. I mean, they matter for a lot of teams that are mediocre. And that's another thing is I looked at um, teams that were, uh, 
you know, in the power five teams that were high in the, in bench usage kind of recently. And um, when you look at teams in the power five that use their bench, um, most of them are not NCAA tournament teams and they are certainly not final four or elite eight caliber teams. So once again, um, so, so yeah, if you look at teams that, like power five teams that use their bench more than Florida this year, um, very few of them are tournament teams. So um, for people who say, Oh, at least Florida has a bench now. Now they can really kind of roll out more guys. Well, if you're rolling out more guys, you're going to look a lot more like Colorado and Iowa than you are Duke and Kentucky and teams that have gone deep. So, yeah, so um, that's just something I think that uh, that Florida's coaching staff needs to be kind of aware of is um, your, your sixth and seventh and, and your eighth guy, you know, those guys matter and finding those kind of rotations and lineups could really work. But um, yeah, your ninth to 12th guy, um, historically playing those guys a lot, even if they're good, has, has not worked out well for teams that have gone deep in the tournament. And uh, that does not make Mike White's job of keeping guys happy with minutes any easier. Yeah, no, it's an it's an interesting uh, thing, and and we've just seen Virginia win a national championship with basically an eight man rotation. You know, um, Mike Trzeszewski is a guy who who preaches that you only should have seven or eight. Um, and, and Duke has you know almost always been that way. I'm, I'm I don't remember the exact year. It was a few years ago where it was like really interesting that they had ten or eleven and were pretty successful because it's it's not something that they. You know, they don't try to buck the trend. Like, that's kind of the established way that they play. I think Kansas is the same way. I was thinking of someone who really does use 10, and, like, outside of Florida State, it, it's really hard to think of anybody. Like, that, that's that been good, and that uses more than that kind of number. So it's going to be interesting. Like, I, you know, gone to head today, I feel like I think Florida's going to have, like, nine that, that play about 10 minutes. Um, or more, uh, cause I do think Dante Bassett's going to get minutes, but, but it'll be interesting. It'll be, it'll be really, and, and it is a challenge, I think for, for Florida, especially when they think about how, you know, they want to score. Yeah. I, I just think, um, uh, I'm going to try to get into it a little bit this year. I'm kind of trying finding some ways to, uh, to do some kind of lineup, um, research about what lineups work the best. Cause I do think that's going to be really important. Um, and I think that also matters with, uh, you know, our conversation about Trey Mann and, and, and Scotty Lewis and, and how do you keep uh, uh, kind of keep things balanced and, and not lose anything when you go to your sixth and seventh and eighth guys and, and everything like that. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, but yeah, uh, that's going to be something that's going to be tough to figure out because, um, yeah, like I mentioned, I would say all the numbers kind of point to uh, uh, going really deep and using your bench a ton is just not uh, not a way to win in, in modern basketball. But yeah, you certainly want to keep guys. Um, that you got want to keep guys happy. And I mean, Jason Jatobo, there's a guy that um, a lot of people said was going to red shirt when I interviewed him and he, he said he had, he did not want a red shirt. Still a lot of conversation <laughs> about that. So, um, you know, something like that. I mean, some people said, um, you, you know, the, the front court's crowded. I mean, it's just, it, it'll be interesting. It's going to be something that it, that's interesting that you mentioned uh, that Jackie mentioned that about white trying to figure that out, because I really do think that's going to be a challenge from a, uh, you know, like, you know, I love analytics. I love numbers. I also know there's a human element to basketball. Yeah. You really got to keep guys happy. Yeah. And another thing that rotations affect is defense, which is one thing I wanted to integrate is as we kind of get into, to, you know, the, the end of our kind of X's and O's thoughts today. And I don't know how much X's and O's we did really talking about rotations, but, but I know that it definitely does affect the way that you run offense. It affects your continuity. Um, 
you know, and some of it is good because you can show somebody something for a couple minutes. But, but Florida kind of has a way that they like to defend pick and roll and do pick and roll coverages and and play defense. And I think with the personnel they have this year, you know, they'll certainly have the opportunity to be to be more effective in in that regard. But at the same time, uh, you know, this is a Florida team that that might be able to switch the way that, that they defend the pick and roll a little bit. Yeah. I mean, uh, switching is obviously something that Mike White loves to do. And, and we saw a lot of pick and rolls get switched and that, uh, you know, that resulted in Andrew Nemhart getting stuck on bigs a lot. That was something we've talked about on this podcast a few times. And, uh, luckily, I mean, you had a guy like Kavarius Hayes who could switch out to, uh, and stay in front of some guards. Um, but this year it's a little different and it's, uh, you know, Kerry Blackshear is still pretty mobile, but I mean, he's not, um, Kavarius Hayes and you've got a couple other guys like um, like Scotty Lewis but uh, but I mean like there's a guy who can you know switch up and down the lineup and uh, that'll be and you know also off the bench I mean who's playing uh, who's playing the four if they are they going big and having more big guys on the floor because uh, if you've got a bunch of bigs on the floor it's um, some people would say like hey that's going to get you in trouble if you switch a lot because there's maybe two guys on the floor you don't want against um, against guards but at the same time like hey if you've got Omar Payne at the four and um, Gorjak Gak at the five, uh, maybe you're a little okay with Omar Payne switching out onto a guard, knowing that you've got a shot blocker behind him. So, uh, there's a few options, but, uh, Neil, I know this is something you've thought about. So, uh, <laughs> what's been, on, what's been on your mind about what Florida could do? Uh, maybe icing a little more when we talk about icing, icing pick and rolls, we're just talking about, you know, forcing the, uh, the, the pick and rolls that start sort of towards the, uh, not in the corner, but not at the top of the key. So. Uh, you want to force them to the side and force the ball handler away from the middle screen. And I think, I think Florida might be able to do that uh, a little more if they can, they can get their, you know, one of their really good on ball defenders that can lock onto the ball handler's hip. So I think like with a guy like Scotty Lewis, uh, you can maybe ice screens a little more effectively, which is something I wanted them to do some last year. And then like got, into thinking about it, Eric, and was like, well, I'm not really sure who we do that with. Like, Kayvon Allen's just not quite big enough. Um, and so I think, you know, Scotty Lewis kind of gives you that that opportunity. And then the other thing I thought was this, that, you know, Florida has more length, so you can show pick and rolls a little more, which is something that my teams like to do. Um, and and I don't know necessarily if, if, you know, that's something that Coach White likes to do philosophically. Uh, but it would seem that it would because when you do that, a lot of times your help defenders shrink the floor. And, and, and I know if that sounds like I'm like just talking nonsense, it's really not. Like <laughs> the idea is that your, your ball handler uh, defender has to aggressively fight over the top of, of the original screen. So he closes back in on the guy with the ball. And, and then what happens is he can recover – uh, back to his original man after after the ball moves, or he can rotate to a shooter in the corner, and he's already in a pretty good position, if that makes sense. Yeah, so, I mean, I've got a couple thoughts. Um, first of all, of course, your team, uh, you know, Hedges pick and roll, a good, good classic uh, pack line <laughs> team right there. Um, you know, there's a good classic uh, basketball reference for the coaches listening here. Yeah, there you um, go. I should have known that your team would hedge, but uh, <laughs> uh, one thing that I do think um, is would be a common um, trend with either icing screen and rolls or kind of hedging. Um, the two things that they're so, um, or I guess you use the term show, I, I don't, um, but uh, so you ice a pick and roll, 
um, what you're usually giving up is going like, and you know, so you, you ice a screen and roll and you send a ball handler down towards the sideline. Um, what you're usually giving up is a decently open pick and pop opportunity, um, which is, uh, you know, so it's, you're taking away the ball handler a little more um, and you might be giving up a pick and pop. Um, and then you talk about hedging the screen and roll or showing right. on the screen and right. roll. Um, what you're doing is taking away the ball handler a little bit and you are forcing the roller to, um, you know, you're opening up um, the roller to be, you know, he's someone who could potentially get the ball, whether it be an initial pass, um, which you don't want, or, uh, you know, maybe he gets one ball reversal and then can kind of put it into inside. But the common, um, the common thing between icing a screen and roll and hedging or showing on a pick and roll is you are taking a little bit of the power out of the ball handler and you are, you are kind of forcing the big man to beat you. So what I think that's a really good idea is because I don't think there are a lot of great big men in college basketball. Um, what there are a lot of are really good ball handlers. And I think we, you know, a lot of times on this podcast, we've talked about players on the other team that are perimeter guys that are ball handlers that Florida had a tough time to contain. Um, there's not a lot of big men who could, you know, really torch you from the outside. If you're icing every screen and roll. Um, I think you're probably willing to let a lot of these big men shoot the three. Um, actually, Hey, with the, you know, with the three point line moving back, icing screen and roll, making big men have to step another stride back to hit that three. Um, that could lower the percentage. So icing screen rolls might be a good idea or showing on pick and roll and keeping the ball handler away saying, Hey, um, hit the roll man and make the roll man make a play. Um, something else kind of for me, um, you know, someone who loves numbers and looking at analytics. Um, it, sh- it is shocking how few times the role man gets hit in college basketball. Um, you yes. know, for how much, for how much screen and roll gets ran, it is so rare for it. You know, you think about the traditional Stockton to Malone pick and roll, you know, pick comes um, John Stockton or your point guard um, curls around the screen and has a little bounce pass into the free throw line area to the big man. That actually happens so rarely in college. But it is crazy when you look at the number of screen of pick and roll that is ran and how few times the roll man is hit. It is shocking how, how little that happens. So again, if you are showing on pick and roll, you are saying, um, yeah, you've, to beat us, you're going to have to hit that roll man. And that's just something that teams are just not really used to doing anymore. And it's something that's kind of, uh, uh, once again, uh, you talk about these teams running pick and roll and playing draft coverages, which is what you see in the NBA lots. Yeah. Um, uh, true. it's like, Hey, we want to take away the role, man. Well, in the NBA, when you've got all these seven footers that are dynamic and can catch lobs, yeah, you want to take away the role, man. But um, in college basketball, there's not a lot of those guys. So I think that, um, yeah, doing some of these things that we've talked about to kind of contain the ball handler and say, Hey, let's make the big man beat us. I think it's a great idea. Oh, and you know what? Like while we're on it, just like, cause we really get these moments where we can kind of explain things where we have this opportunity to insert like a real life illustration of, why something that looks like horrible defense might not necessarily be horrible defense. And as a defensive coordinator, Eric, this is something that really irritates me among like the casual basketball fan. And I'm, I'm like, I know that people are going to be like, no, it's still terrible defense deal. Um, sometimes you'll give up a pretty easy look and you'll watch the NBA and like people, people will be watching the NBA. Right. And they'll be like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe that. You know, they just let Justice Winslow, like, hit that eight-footer, like, with no one near him. And, you know, I can't believe nobody cares defensively. And it's like, no, not at all. Like, that was the pick-and-roll coverage. Like, the whole idea was we're going to take away this thing and this thing, 
And if they beat us on this thing, that's because they're good at executing. Yeah, and I think you just see the uh, the strengths and weaknesses in college basketball. I mean, you look up and down the guys that Florida is going to play, there's a whole lot of good ball handlers and a lot of really good creators out of the pick and roll. Um, there's not a whole lot of them. That, there's not a lot of whole teams with like, wow, this guy is a big roll threat or, hey, this guy is like a, a Draymond Green kind of guy that he gets the ball in the short roll and then he can quickly make a play. There's just not a lot of those guys in college basketball. So I say like, hey, dare them to do it. <laughs> dare these big men to be the playmakers, not the uh, – not the guards that are proven scorers and proven claymakers. Right. And in a case in point in my example, like a couple of years ago, Florida, not last year, but the year before, Florida plays the senior day game against Kentucky and they build a huge lead. And, and essentially their plan was, you know what, like we're going to see if, if Quade Green uh, and a couple other players on Kentucky can beat us. Like we're not going to get beat by Kevin Knox. And, you know, that's just, that's just how we're going to defend them. And it worked. And then last year, really for 30 minutes or so, they kind of corralled Tyler hero in, in the same way. And so it, the point I'm making, I guess, Eric, is it's not like football where you can schematically design to get stops. I mean, you do, but you know, the other team's going to score. So it's just a matter of like, how do you limit your liabilities? Yeah. And uh screen and roll is something that's interesting because it's, uh, it's one of the things that, you know, if you play man defense, you're going to see it. Uh, it's something that uh, is kind of nice to prepare for because there's some things you kind of prepare for as a coach or as a team, and then it's um, then you don't see it just because kind of the flow of the game. I mean, <laughs> if Florida continues to play lots of man, they're going to see lots of screen and roll. You you know what's going to happen. So, um, yeah, just thinking about what they do and, and how they can kind of be maybe creative or different or just stick to their guns and, and switch. Like, that, that stuff is really interesting to watch. Um, and, yeah, if you're a, a, a fan who's maybe just, like, newer to basketball or, or learning about basketball more – um, seeing how teams kind of respond to pick and rolls is, is something really interesting that you can uh, uh, start to learn the game quickly and uh, just by seeing the way that uh, the different teams kind of handle it defensively. So I, we may have Eric's absolutely right, and we may have bored people to death at the end of uh, <laughs> at the end of our podcast. But it's cool to to be a month out from basketball, and uh, we'll be back. We're going to go back to weekly, so we'll be back uh, next week with a show. We'll probably have. At least one new Gator, if Eric, unless Eric and I are just both way off. But I think things are in pretty good shape on uh, Niles Lane. Two big guys were visiting this weekend, Kate Cunningham, and then a guy. I'll let Eric kind of finish things up today. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Listen to what Eric has to say about the other visitor, who is a 2021 player. 2021, yeah. Uh, that's Kawasi Reeves Jr. Um, he's a player that Florida was his first um, – uh, yeah, he was the first, uh, his first power five offer. And I think his first offer at all, um, his, uh, he's just been, um, he's always been a really good player, even through junior high. He's just, uh, is someone that doesn't have, you know, elite size. I mean, now he's like six, two and one sixty. Um, but yeah, just, uh, uh, he's really dominated competition. He's a, a really smart kid. He's a really smart player. His, his dad is a really good coach in Georgia. Yes. And, um, just uh, for that reason, I think he's just like a really mature kid who who plays the game really maturely and also is is kind of considered to be one of the best shooters in the class. So uh, um, he's someone who honestly, like there was a couple, uh, I heard a couple people who I, I don't know super well, but they told me this, but I don't know how, but but they're like, yeah, like, I mean, he might commit this weekend there. So I was like, oh, oh, really? But I mean, at the same time, um, I mean, it was like over a year and a half ago that Florida offered. I, I interviewed him and his dad. They were, they were awesome. They love Florida. Um, I don't think anything's changed. I still think they love Florida. And uh, 
yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty, it's, I mean, it's funny because now it's like, this used to be pretty normal, but now it'd be pretty weird for a 2021 to come in now, even though, I mean, a few years back that would. Yeah, it's weird, unusual. But, uh... <laughs> it's unusual in basketball now. It's unusual, you know, because but... it's become so common in football to be committed for a year and a half and flip like four times. And it just doesn't really happen in basketball right now, but Florida, th- this is the, this is what this, this is how this staff recruits, right? Like, they they develop and cultivate relationships over long periods of time, and then they're they make it really difficult for players to say no. So as Kawasi reads, like stock has increased, which is what's been happening because he can shoot so well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Florida's kind of in the catbird seat as like offers pour in, and you can go to twenty four seven and be like, "Whoa, look at these offers." Yeah, so so Kwasi Reeves is someone who um, I think could be you know as a twenty twenty one could maybe be like the next Noah Locke. Right. Um, Cause he can really shoot the ball. I, I really think um, Kwasi Reeves has a lot more ball skills. I think he can handle it a lot better than Noah Locke can, but also shoots um, kind of the same way. He also does not have the, uh, like Noah Locke is just so strong at his size. Um, Kwasi Reeves is 160 pounds. So right, right. not that quite yet, but I mean, he's a 2021. 20, I, I don't think he'll ever be built like Locke, but um, we'll probably put on some weight. But um, if you want to think of him as kind of the next uh, the next Noah Locke, I think that would be a, a good way to go. And I think Florida got one of the, you know, probably the best shooter in the class in Noah Locke when they got him. And uh, yeah, I would say Kwasi Reeves is similar. So maybe they land him. Well, there it is, folks. Florida basketball, we're happy to be back. Um, follow us on Twitter. Um, I don't know. Make sure you hit us up with the ratings and stuff on Apple. Thanks to everybody that's, that's dropped those. We really appreciate it. And um, we will be back next week. Bye-bye.